Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Steve Alberin, and he is co-founder and CEO at Confident Cannabis. We're going to learn a little bit more about him, his background, uh, about the cannabis company he's founded and running. Fascinated about this one. Uh, this is a really interesting kind of platform-based company looking at really the business-to-business side of things. Fascinating as this industry grows, uh, kind of the new segments, the new industries, new businesses that we need to make it work, to make it fluid, to make it highly effective. Uh, and this is one of those. So I'm curious to, to geek out a little bit about what's going on behind the scenes. How do we make uh, this market uh, more fluid and more available? With that, Steve, welcome to the program. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks for having me. So why don't we start uh, with a little bit of background? Uh, I mean, sort of what, what's your pre-cannabis story? What were you doing? Uh, what kind of uh, what was the professional focus uh, prior to getting involved in cannabis? And then tell us how you got involved uh, in the industry. And then we'll talk a little bit about uh, confident cannabis and, and what what problem you're trying to solve and what you're finding that's working, what's what's not working, uh, the trials and tribulations. Uh, but let's start with the background. Tell us about you. Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, I guess... I'll start from the beginning. I was I was born in the U.S., grew up in Mexico City, and uh, moved to U.S. for college. Uh, went to school in Boston and worked in New York City, and had a career in finance for eight years. 
Uh, I did a number of things. I did uh, M&A investment banking. I did growth equity investing and uh, different startups, one in internet and, and marketing services. And in 2014, I moved to California, went to grad school and went to Stanford, got a business degree. That's where I met my co-founders. And then we started Confident Cannabis out of out of the school library. And it's been Confident Cannabis ever since. Yeah. And what, um, I guess, why? Like, what was the, was it just a fascinating business opportunity? Was there a connection prior? I'm always, I generally find that uh, there's always an interesting story about how either, either why or how people got involved in cannabis. What was the connection? How did it start? Yeah, yeah. So first of all, I've always been a fan of cannabis. I'm a light recreational user, I guess you could say. Yep. And I, I have been since pretty much high school. And I always believed that it should be legal. It would be a good thing for the world for yeah. it to legalize for lots of reasons. But as I mentioned, I grew up in Mexico. And, you know, like in the US, people are told, you know, drugs are bad. I don't do drugs. They're bad for you and, and all these things. And so kind of had that sort of brainwashing from from the war on drugs. However, in Mexico, there's an additional layer, which is that it's not just bad for you, it's bad for the world, right? So because a lot of the problems that Mexico has as a country can be traced back to the the narcos and the drug yeah. traffickers, right? Yeah. The, the criminal cartels. And, you know, they create a lot of poverty, a lot of uh, political unrest and things like that, which is continuously bring the country down. And so, you know, working in the U.S. and seeing what was happening in, you know, 2012, 2014 in Colorado and Washington, I said, wow, this is this is really a big deal. I think it'll happen. At the time, nobody really thought it would go as mainstream as it has, as yeah. quickly as it has. But that really interested me. And the more I kind of learned about it, the more I realized, you know, from an economic perspective, social justice, health, you know, all of these reasons, you know, legalization in the U.S. is a good thing. But also, I really got excited about the idea of taking money away from bad guys with guns <laughs> and giving it to yeah. Uh, yeah. ethical licensed uh, entrepreneurs in the United States uh, or wherever they may be. Uh -huh. So so that was kind of the tipping point for me in, in, in 2014. Like I said, I was, at, I was at grad school, so I had, you know, a, a year vacation to think and try new things and, and look above the grass for a little while. And I realized I didn't really want to be an investor anymore. Uh -huh. I had a good career, it went well, but I wasn't really excited every day. I, I was much more interested in, in being an operator. Both my parents and my grandparents, all four grandparents are entrepreneurs. So maybe there's something to uh, that. Yeah. It's in and, your blood. Yeah, I guess so. And uh, so I, I always said to myself, if I could focus on one thing, I think I could do that a lot better than kind of, you know, spreading chips around a table. Yeah. As an investor. So so that was kind of the beginning. Those two those two events converging. Right. Thinking, you know, more long term about my career, what I want to do and being, uh, you know, founder of a company in general and then and looking at cannabis and how that was uh, progressing and, and really finding that personal motivation for getting involved in the industry. And so kind of going into what we do and yeah. the Genesis story there. So my co-founders and I, rather than come up with an idea and go out and see if it works, which is what I think a lot of startups do, mm -hmm. we, we, we chose not to do that. And we said, let's spend a bunch of time finding a problem that we think we can solve. Mm -hmm. And then if we could solve that problem, a business will come out of it. And so that, that's, it, that's useful context for understanding our business model because it's a little bit indirect. And a lot of people kind of scratch their heads yeah. when they hear you know, how it all works. So what we did was just interview a bunch of operators. So we went to Colorado and Washington and all over the medical states and asked retailers and growers and manufacturers and everybody in the in, in the supply chain what's hard for them. We said, you know, when was the last time there was a problem that you wish you could solve that, that, that you couldn't? And so we, we kind of gathered a lot of this feedback and and we, we tried to spot trends in some of these problems. And over and over and over, we heard variations of the problem that trading business to business is too hard. And so clearly people don't 
phrase it that way. But retailers would say, for instance, you know, uh, it's really hard for me to assess product quality and, and get the right brands on my shelf. It's hard for me to coordinate with my vendors. They're flaky. They don't show up on time. Uh, it's the, the metric reporting and the whole supply chain and transfers and cash payments. All yeah. of that is really, really hard. Uh, so that's those are the things that retailers would say, which are you know doing business with counterparties, B two B, right? You know, growers would say, you know, how do I know what strains are going to sell? What should I plant now? How do I get my my brand name out there? I need more distribution. How do I stand out from the crowd and differentiate? Those are all similar, you know, related problems. And it goes across the board. So we said, okay, well, that's a really big unsolved problem. And it's the kind of problem that grows as the industry grows. Mm -hmm. And it's the kind of problem that every cannabis operator faces. And by the way, it's mostly unsolved. So somebody's going to solve it. So let, let's well, uh, might as well be us. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, that's good. I mean, it's, it, I mean, honestly, it, it sounds like a, a very kind of well executed Stephen Blank uh, customer development, you know, go out into the world and discover the problems, analyze the problems figure out what potential solutions are, validate those, you know, with real world examples. I mean, were you, were you inspired by, you know, kind of lean startup and Reese and blank and those folks or did that kind of come serendipitous? Yeah. So we started this company, like I said, out of, out of Stanford Business School and, and um, Steve Blank teaches a class that we didn't yeah. actually take <laughs> the lean startup class. Uh -huh. We took another class that, you know, the whole the whole lean startup philosophy permeates Stanford yeah. Business School. Yeah. So, yeah, we definitely drank the Kool-Aid on Lean Startup and, you know, design thinking and, and, and user-focused design. So, yeah, problem finding, empathizing with customers first, and then going and solving a problem around that. That's really how we started. And I, I'd like to think that we we employ a lot of that in our in our company's culture today, which I think has been, you know, part of the reason we've been successful. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, I see this a lot in tech and, and some of these kind of mature or, you know, more kind of established startup-y kind of industries or where, where there's a, a very established healthy, rigorous startup culture in it. You know, I think in cannabis, we're just starting that, right? Because so many people have kind of getting into cannabis kind of sideways or, you know, because they, they love the plant or they, you know, they're passionate growers and things like that. They're not sort of fundamentally business innovators, you know, startup innovators. So it's, it's exciting to see you guys approaching it, sort of taking the best of this startup culture and applying it to this burgeoning cannabis yeah. industry. Well, I was just going to ask, like, what have you, given that you had a background or that you've had some experience in non-cannabis industries and kind of doing this or, or working with folks that are in kind of the innovation startup space in other industries, what was different? I guess, what kind of things did you run into that were just uniquely cannabis or that cannabis posed as kind of challenges or that you had to rethink your approach that Otherwise, in other industries, you would do it one way. But the fact that you were dealing with cannabis, you had to change. Yeah, yeah. I think I think one thing that's that's really unique about cannabis is that it's I don't want to be cliche about this, but it's a new industry that requires new solutions. And so I used to be in the consumer products world. And in consumer, there's a certain way to do things. There's a certain way to uh, think about packaging design and advertising and distribution and you know how to get how to get uh, promotions at, at stores so all of that is is very much entrenched in these traditional industries because that's the way it's always been and to try to disrupt that is, is is very challenging and and those solutions in those other industries might not be optimal they're just kind of the way it evolved right same thing with alcohol pharma tobacco agriculture any any of these industries that people like to draw analogies to cannabis right so people often say you know, is cannabis going to look like agriculture? Is it going to look like pharma? Is it going to look like alcohol? So I always tell people it's not going to look like any of those. It's going to have elements of them, yeah. but it's going to be as distinct from each of those other industries as those industries are distinct from each other. And it is a new thing. We kind of have to wrap our head around that and, and give it its own kind of standing 
as a unique industry that has its own unique solutions. So on the one hand, the industry needs new solutions and we do need to reinvent the, the wheel with respect to solutions and strategy, business strategy. But what we don't need to do is reinvent the wheel on tactics. So yes, we need a new startup here and there. Yes, we need to do that, but we don't need to say, well, what's the best way to start a startup? There, There's lean startup methodologies mm-hmm. and other great methodologies that, that work really well. So let's just use that. You know, How do we get distribution? Well, yeah, we need new di- forms of distribution and, and getting in front of retailers, but you know, things like buy one, get one free, or, you know, trade collateral, that stuff works, right? Uh, We can't use social media advertising very well, but consumers think similarly. So let's think about how to tap into their psyche and position our brand that way. So yeah, on the one hand, we do need to reinvent, but on the other hand, we we can just use best practices that have been refined in other industries. Yeah, it's interesting. I I run into this on the coaching set all the time, whereas yes, cannabis is a, a uniquely different and very dynamic market relative to, you know, tech, relative to real estate, relative to, you know, professional services, you know, but the fact is we can still use, you know, a lot of the same growth frameworks and leadership models and tools that we can borrow from a organizational development and a, a growth coaching perspective from other businesses we have to apply them in, in sort of different ways and we have to we have to adjust them to fit with the challenges and the dynamics of cannabis but you know we can leverage all those things and, and if we don't leverage them you know that that's uh, unfortunate right you're not taking advantage of that stuff so I think it's smart you're right. kind of bringing in these these you know tested best practices and, and models and approaches and then you know figuring out how to how to deal with the unique cannabis situations right so talk to us about the business model. I mean, you, so you, you spend a lot of time, you know, working or going to the industry, doing the customer development, finding the problems, figuring out potential solutions. Where did you land in terms of what problem are you primarily focused on and what is the nature of the solution that you've been uh, developing yeah. and why does it work? Yeah, yeah. So when we when we saw that the the biggest problem was that B2B commerce is too hard, we, we kind of deconstructed that and we said, well, why? What makes it hard? And, and we realized that fundamentally it's a data problem and a software automation problem. Okay. So it's a data problem because there's very low transparency into what's being made, who makes it, and what it's made of. If the if the industry knew you know, what's out there and they could assess product quality immediately and vendor quality, then buyers can make informed purchasing decisions and you know vendors can differentiate and stand out from the crowd because they can highlight their unique you know, uh, you know, value props. It's a software automation problem because logistics are just challenging, right? There's a lot of compliance, there's metric, you know, all these different systems that they need to work with. There's no infrastructure, really. Uh, a lot of cash payments still happen. Mm-hmm. So uh, the transaction workflow is is very cumbersome. And that's the kind of thing that software is really good at automating. So if you can automate you know, bits and pieces of that workflow, you, you can save a lot of time. So we said, OK, well, how do we get the data about what's being made, who makes it and what it's made of? And by the way, we need to get that in real time and nationwide. Otherwise, it's not really going to be enough. So we saw that everything that gets sold from one party to the other, for the most part, in most places, has to be tested by a third party lab. And so these labs are are naturally aggregating the supply side information, right? They put out these certificate of analysis reports. And on that piece of paper, there's the, 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 the grower's name, their license number, their contact information, the inventory, strain name, batch size, and then finally, this new layer of information which is the lab results, which informs the quality and therefore the price. And so these labs are already doing this and they have to do it all the time for everything that comes to market. So we looked at the labs and we saw that they're very underserved. There there aren't many labs out there. 
and nobody's building software for them. So we said, well, if we can build software for the labs, you know, we can make their lives easier and you know, give them a piece of software that they really, really need and, and make them happy. But in so doing, all of their clients can then create accounts with us and they can order lab results and see their results and do things that are much more dynamic as opposed to just getting emailed a, a bunch of PDFs. And so that was step one. So we built lab software. We shipped it to as many labs as we could across the country for the first three years for free, basically. And we got to about 50% market share nationwide. And so uh, today, a little over half of the legal cannabis produced in the U.S. is going through our platform in states that regulate testing. And that was sort of step one, acquire the supply side with this free or cheap lab software. And then step two is put a buy button on it. So all of that inventory that is being produced in a, in a particular market should then be able to be sold and transacted and, and buyers should be able to order order that inventory. So a year ago, we launched our wholesale marketplace in Oregon, which, you know, when we launched, we had 85% of the supply in the state. Today, we have about 95% of the supply in the state. So a retailer in Oregon can go in and see all that inventory from all their vendors that they're currently working with, some new ones that they don't know yet, and, you know, find like kind of auto trader style where you could say, show me all the Blue Dream over 20% THC under this price range, and then boom, click it to send an order request. Interesting. The, the, the sellers can then get those orders, and then we integrate with Metric, and we can we streamline the, the workflow. Uh, we're launching our, our wholesale marketplace now in California, and that's our second state. And so uh, bit by bit, we'll be rolling out our wholesale marketplace across the other 30 or so markets where we operate. And, and how do you make money? I mean, what's your, in terms of how do you generate revenues? Where is your financial model inside that sort of transaction model that you've set up? Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's very levered to the uh, orders being accepted by the sellers. So when a seller accepts an order from a buyer, they then pay us a fee for that order. We have other forms of, of monetization, featured listings, certain premium features that they can do. But the majority of it is based on sellers accepting orders from buyers. Got it. And and so you mentioned you started out. You, you it sounds like the first step was you know becoming kind of the platform of choice or or the the dominant platform in the market. How I mean, what were the financial models at that point? Was this you know kind of classic startup? We need to invest in the business to get that market penetration before we can generate revenues. Or how, how what was the financing like in the early stages? Yeah, yeah. So very transparently with our investors and frankly encouraged by investors was to you know, don't worry about monetization. Yeah. You know, build your lab software, give it to as many people as you can. And we understand the strategy, you know, develop your moat. And so, uh, yeah, we were, you know, classic VC subsidized growth for the first three years, three and a half years, really. And then, you know, last year we announced our Series A. So we, we, we pulled in, you know, a bit more money, which at that point, the, the, the pitch was more, OK, now it's time to monetize. And so that's when we built our marketplace. That's, you know, hire a sales Got team, it. you know, do all of that. So you did know. you have a number? I mean, did you know that you needed to get to, you know, a certain percent of the market or a certain adoption rate, you know, to get to yeah, the monetization yeah. or how did you model that or what were your breakpoints? So our, our our goal was about 50% of the market. So okay. we we achieved 50%. Um, but that that's really kind of more of a vanity metric because all we really need is over fifty percent in in the market where we want to launch our marketplace. So yeah, so like I talk said, to you about Oregon, that because I mean all this. I mean you know I'm assuming most of the people that listen to the podcast have a have a general understanding of this, but let's talk about it in detail. You know that all these markets are state by state because of federal law right. restrictions of being able to cross state lines. How you know do you do you see this as you know a dozen or so individual markets that you participate? In, or how much do you look at this as one national or North American or global market? And how much do you see this as 
uh, a bunch of fragmented interconnected markets? So right now it, it is very much a fragmented state by state market. And our aspirations, like many in the industry, is that at some point federal legalization changes and interstate commerce will be allowed, in which case it'll be a, a North American or global market, presumably. So, uh, but for now, it is very much state by state. So our market share in Oregon doesn't help or hurt our market share in California in any way or Nevada or Michigan or you name it. So on, on the one hand, it's a good thing because that means we can go into a market and learn and iterate and you know maybe make some mistakes and then learn from those mistakes and take those learnings to a new market without really kind of betting the farm. So that's why we launched in Oregon first. It's a great market. It has a lot of favorable characteristics. We It was actually our first market when we launched even with our lab software. So we have a lot of friends in that state and um, it was kind of a, a, a nice place to, to try out this new market or, the, or this new product with yeah. our wholesale marketplace. And, and we've learned a lot and so now we feel ready for California. And as other states across the country, uh, you know, grow. So, for instance, Massachusetts is still a little early. Michigan's still a little early. You know, we need we need markets that are very liquid with lots of operators, lots of supply. And some of these markets are a little bit more constrained so far. But at some point, those markets will become attractive to us and we'll, we'll go in with our marketplace. Yeah. And, and what makes them too early and constrained? I mean, what are you looking at? Like number number of growers, number of dispensaries? What are the things that start making it more attractive for you in terms of the nature of the market? dynamics, metrics? Yeah, yeah. So in general, we do well when, when there are many players in the market. So when I say many, it's you know at least 100 uh, grower manufacturers, at, at least 100 retailers. And but perhaps more importantly, it's also the, the supply and demand is roughly balanced. It doesn't have to be perfectly balanced. We, we don't have to wait till maturity. But if there's, a, for instance, in Michigan right now and for the last year or so, there's been an extreme supply shortage. Yeah, exactly. You know, they just legalized adult use and there just aren't enough stores and the stores that are up have empty shelves and the licensed operators are having a hard time making enough. So when a grower manufacturer sells out before they even make the thing, they don't need a marketplace. Yeah, and so exactly. It's not their problem. Right. Right. So we need to wait for that supply to catch up uh, and then that'll be attractive. In Massachusetts, for instance, I think that there aren't many players. And so it's, yeah. it's fairly constrained. I think maybe there's 50 companies or so, a lot of them vertical. So we need to wait for, for those markets to fragment a little bit more and, and, and balance out. Yeah. And I'm curious in terms of, you know, how you see the federal legalization kind of potentially playing out. I mean, there's a couple of different ways that it could. How, I mean, do you see, do you anticipate, is, is, does your strategic plan, I guess, you know, have, have and its, you know, potential options or outcomes that you're planning against, you know, in terms of how individual states respond to this? I mean, I'm, I'm always working with companies and, and looking at the different possibilities of, yeah, we get federal legalization, but, you know, states have invested a lot in their local cannabis you know, markets, you know, are they going to fully go to an open national market? Are states going to, you know, put up protectionist walls? Are they going to start potentially in invoking state control to actually limit the fluidity of the market across the country and across, uh, you know, outside the country? What's your, I guess, what's your take or what's your prediction on how that might play out? Yeah. So let me say, whatever I say is most likely going to be wrong. <laughs> Predict you heard it here. DVR. You heard it here, ladies, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. But my hunch, I, I think this is true, but also I think this is what, what what I want to be true, so yeah, maybe I'm exactly. a little biased. So, yeah. so, so I don't think rescheduling will happen. I think rescheduling to schedule two or, or, yeah. or three would be the worst outcome, in yeah. my opinion. I think it'd be even worse than than keeping status quo. Yeah. 
that will just make cannabis a pharma product and pharma will will overtake it and and then we'll have this conflict between the, the existing businesses and pharma and yeah. i don't really know what that future looks like it gets very messy and it doesn't allow the entrepreneurship and kind of innovation that i think the industry needs and and, and benefits from but it also doesn't make our business model work so hopefully that doesn't happen so 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 rescheduling is off the table. Descheduling, I think, is the most likely. I think taking it off the, the Controlled Substances Act list would, would would be the best outcome. But then there will po- probably be something else that regulates things like interstate commerce and banking. I don't think it'll just be the same as selling herbal supplements, for instance. I think yeah. it'll be somewhere, some new thing. And But I do think that the federal legalizations will be light touch. And so then the the question will really be, is it a state's rights issue or not? Yeah. So I, I think that's where it'll go. I think states will be allowed to regulate, you know, similar to gaming, for instance, where there's maybe some degree of anti-money laundering, you know, oversight and yeah. banking, oversight and things like that. But states can regulate it on a case-by-case basis. So that, that's where I think it'll go. And when that happens, that, that's great, because then all of a sudden, you know, Massachusetts can buy cannabis from California and, and so on. And, and we're we're very well positioned for that for that world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. I'm curious in terms of your kind of entrepreneurial journey as you've gone from, you know, kind of early problem solver, you know, finding the entrance to the market, problem solution fit, getting it up and running to, uh, you know, raising money, you know, multiple rounds to building a team to, you know, developing, you know, a, a business operations around things. Where have some of your challenges been around uh, that in terms of your own kind of development and leadership journey? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, like most cannabis companies, raising money is harder. Um, on the one hand, it's, you know, some things about it make it hard, right? The universe of investors is, yeah. is small. We haven't been able to take money from Sand Hill Road kind of uh, VCs. And, and for the most part, they haven't invested in cannabis businesses, even ancillary like us. Yeah. But on the other hand, it's, it's it's helpful because those who are interested in, in, in the industry are, are very motivated and yeah. there, there are few companies for them to invest in. And so it's, it's easy to get their attention. And you waste less time pitching people who are just uh, kicking the tires for the most part. So, but, you know, we, we, we've been successful, you know, we, we raised three rounds and each time, you know, we were oversubscribed and we were, we were fortunate to be able to close it quickly. So we got lucky, but I don't think that that's always going to be the case, especially right now. The current environment is, is really not very good. We're not fundraising right now, but at, at time of recording in January 2020, yeah. this is not a great funding environment. Yep. Uh, hopefully that changes. And uh, so that's that, that's a challenge. I think um, one thing that we've been careful of, and I think we've done well with, but has been something that we've had to maybe work a little bit harder than other traditional startups is is finding the right people. Yeah. So, you know, we have we have a fantastic team right now and we have made certain, you know, hiring mistakes. And we found that there's a higher we, we get a good handful of people who are like, oh, I'm going to go work at this, you know, cannabis startup and just kind of bum out. It's going to be super chill. And <laughs> I'm going to smoke and <laughs> work. <laughs> yeah. And 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 we're not that we're a, we're a cannabis tech company, yeah. whether we're a cannabis company first or tech company first isn't really the question. But we are high growth, professional, hardworking, smart people yep. solving big, important problems. And we want people who are excited about that. And, you know, we also love the plant. We also love the industry. We want to help operators thrive. But it's not sort of a relaxed kind of let's go, you know, pet the dog on the beanbag kind of place. So yeah. uh, we do get a lot of those people. I think maybe other startups probably get fewer of those kind of applicants. So just making sure that we're really intentional about culture. That's been a big deal while also being true to cannabis and what it represents. Yeah. 
Those are some of the few things I think off the top of my head. Yeah. Let's talk about the talent one because I think that's that's something I see again and again and in, in part because, you know, this industry is growing so quickly, you know, there's and there's so, you know, it's not an established industry in the sense that we've got a, you know, deep talent pool. You know, I see a lot of companies pulling talent from other adjacent industries whether it's, you know, agriculture or pharmaceutical or uh, technology, um, you know, that they're trying to trying to bring people in the industry. I guess to what extent have you been able to do that? Have, is there anything that has been kind of indicators on who successfully can make the transition and make the jump into cannabis and who don't and why? Is any insights in terms of finding talent, pulling people in and what makes it work and what doesn't make it work? Yeah, yeah. So I, I can speak to our company. So we we found the best success in hiring people from the tech world who are passionate about cannabis for some reason. Most of the people here have some personal story and not everybody's a consumer, by, by the way. Yep. So a lot of people work here who, who, who don't consume cannabis and that's fine, maybe 50-50. Um, but the, the the people who don't usually have some sort of you know reason, whether that's a you know family member who benefited from it or uh, some other story. Um, but but usually they're from the tech industry, and the reason is fundamentally that's that's what we're doing. So the sales process, the engineering tech stack is all pretty similar to other tech companies. Yeah. So we want to find people who have that knowledge to you know to start. Yeah. Is there any anything that you've seen sort of indicators of people that don't make the switch as much, or is is your? I mean, it sounds like at some level what you do is sort of abstracted enough from you know actually touching the plant that you don't have as much kind of cultural kind of you know, not conflict, but, you know, cultural inter- integration issues as, I, as I've seen in kind of more of the plant touching folks. What's your what's your take? Yeah. Well, so it depends on the role. So, you know, an engineer doesn't talk to customers and it doesn't really need to understand the culture of the industry as well as, you know, our salespeople, for instance, are marketing. So our, our sales and marketing people are mostly from the cannabis industry. They uh, were either salespeople at other cannabis companies or Brad Bogus, our VP of marketing, was the general manager at the cannabis publication. Yeah. And we have people from PAX. We have people from um, different dispensaries and testing labs. And so our sales and marketing people are from the industry, but are but, you know, maybe they came from outside the industry or they want to come into the cannabis industry. So they're kind of like these hustler, kind of hardworking people who are definitely looking to grow their career. So, yeah, it's a bit of a mix. I, I don't think that we are tone deaf for the industry I mean, I hope, uh, <laughs> but our, our customers tell us that they love us yeah. quite often. So I think we're doing all right. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of, um, you know, big things coming down the pike or any kind of any things that you're kind of prioritized or, you know, you're going to be tackling in the coming quarters, what's on the strategic roadmap for you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the big thing is, is, is launching our wholesale marketplace in California. It's the biggest state. It's a, it's our home state. We've got thousands of clients already. And uh, just making sure that we execute on that well and drive lots of sales to our vendors. That's that's our most important job for 2020. Rather than kind of spread ourselves too thin and, and go launch our marketplace in several different markets simultaneously, yeah. uh, we'd rather go deep and narrow and, and get it really right in a few markets and really get that flywheel going. And, you know, if we find that it's it, it approaches autopilot and we can move resources to other states, then we'll do that. But uh, because it is a marketplace, we do have network effects and we do have you know chicken and egg problems that we need to solve. And so in the early days, it's really, really hands on getting it going. And we don't want to mess it up. 
Yeah. Yeah. I love that flywheel concept. I mean, I use that with, with my clients and, and, uh, I'm assuming you've read the monograph by Jim Collins, but it's, it's one of those real insightful thing of understanding how a business works and what you could do to really accelerate the growth. But, yeah. you know, it's a great, uh, a great tool. If people haven't read it, uh, definitely check out the monograph. Steve, this has been a great conversation, really insightful. I love talking with people that actually, you know, coming out of the tech space and know all the, uh, kind of lean startup customer development stuff and applying it to cannabis. So kudos for doing that. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. If people want to find out more about you, about the business, what's the best way to get that information? Yeah, yeah. So our website is confidentcannabis.com. On there, you can learn about our products and our job openings. We're, we're always looking for great people. So if you're listening or know people, please have them apply. We're hiring engineering, sales, product, marketing across the board. And if you want to hit me up, uh, LinkedIn's the best way to do that. I check it pretty regularly. So just find me, uh, Steve Alberon, yeah, on LinkedIn. Great. I will make sure that those links are in the show notes so people can click through and get that. Again, Steve, thank you for taking the time. Great conversation. Look forward to keeping in touch and, and hearing how California plays out, how the business develops. Thanks so much, Bruce. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.